Hi, everyone, and welcome back to SACSA's new podcast, To Practice, a practitioner skill building process for the field from two folks who don't know it all, but have and will continue to think a lot about it. Hi, everyone. My name is Miles Surratt. I am fortunate to serve as an associate vice president at uh, James Madison University here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And my name is Kate Radford, and I serve as the Director of Leadership Education and Development at Clemson University. And just to catch up a bit, in case you have missed our uh, earlier episodes to this point, uh, Miles and I used to work together at Clemson, and our office at the time was about half graduate students. And through the years of working together, we reflected a lot on the training that we sought to provide to our grad students and um realized that we had a pretty significant role in providing some practical experience for them that would supplement their educational experience in the classroom. Um, so the podcast that we are engaged in with you here is born of that realization. Since then, we've spent a lot of time thinking through the practical skills necessary to thrive in student affairs. And this podcast is to share those reflections, to continue to hone our skills as practitioners, and for us to have a chance to sit down together and stay in conversation. So we're doing that through a grouping of seasons um, that will each be based around a specific skill. And you are catching us here at the end of the supervision um, season. End of the supervision season, uh, but beginning of a new season, it seems, based on the answer that I think I'm going to get to this question. Kate, what is going on in the Half Mile Lake Facebook group this week? Okay, so real talk. If you've listened to the podcast to this point... I've, you know, I've shared some stuff about our neighborhood, my neighborhood, and, um, you know, I mean, there have been times I've, you know, mocked some things or been critical of my, of my dear neighborhood. Um, but honestly I had, I was like reflecting on this and, and thinking about what I was going to say today on the podcast. And I just like, I kind of have a real moment of like, I've given my neighborhood a lot of heat this season but it is just like a really lovely place to live. Um, and I think maybe what's um, encouraging that is not so much neighborhood Facebook, because I will still all day talk about the challenges there. Um, but it's like spring here and it's South Carolina. So it's warm. And we've just spent so much time outside with our delightful neighbors and the kids are playing in the cul-de-sac and it's just like so lovely. So um, I'm, I'm sort of maybe looking at my neighborhood through some rose colored glasses this week. Cause I just am, am loving it. Um, I will say on the Facebook though, a lot of conversations. And part of this is like reasons I love my neighborhood this time, but, um, a lot of chatter about the upcoming Easter egg hunt, um, which is quite an ordeal here in the half mile Lake community. Um, so that's coming up really exciting. Um, people wanting a lot of details about that. Also a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of chatter about the pool opening, which, um, again, because I'm in South Carolina, that happens way earlier than it ever did for me growing up. I grew up in Maryland miles. I don't know. You grew up down here. Maybe this is normal, but the pools just open so early. Like it's like May and we are opening the pool, but it's warm enough. So people do that. So, um, so yeah, a lot of talk about that. Um, also, I will say the probably most dramatic thing on the Half Mile Lake Facebook right now is that I'm not going to, you know, for risk of getting like sued by a major internet company, internet provider, I won't say their name, but there's an internet provider that a lot of us utilize in the neighborhood that has been really struggling with some outages. 
And it's like this very funny divide that has happened in the neighborhood where some people have switched over to another internet provider. And it's like cracking me up. Cause when the internet goes out, people are like commenting, like, is everyone's internet out? Is everyone's internet out? And the people that made the switch several months ago to this other provider are like, not us y'all made a bad choice. And it's like sort of cracking me up and also making me mad. Cause I did not switch. So I have struggled with some internet access lately, but you know, it maybe keeps me off the Facebook, which is never a bad thing. Well, I think, you know, two thoughts related to that, that are both really important. Um, one prayers out that we make it through this call since you are calling from, uh, since you are calling from home and two, internet haughtiness, you know, um, arbitrary decisions that then become a source of pride, really special thing out there in the world. So yeah, it really is. And you're right. Prayers up that we make it through this call because it is, feels possible that we might not. So, you yeah, know. I, it, I would be really sad if I didn't get to glance at that nice, uh, decorative picture you have behind you there the whole time. So, uh, anyway. um, what's a, what's really embarrassing that I'm about to put out on the internet for people to hear is that there is still, there is a Christmas decorations behind me. Yeah. So I'm glad that this is a podcast and the world can't see them. Um, but there are, yeah, it's a Christmas, um, picture and also my Christmas cards are still behind me. So I'm just claiming it as, um, I like to keep the season, alive. I like to see all the lovely friends and family that sent me cards and I'm going to leave them up. All the other decorations in my house are down. It's not like my tree is still up, but I, yeah, I do have some decorations behind me in this room that I'm sitting in. So no shame. I mean, a little shame. I'm a little ashamed of that, but I'll claim no shame. Well, you know, just to, just for everybody, I just did a quick screenshot of that. So we'll be able to, we'll be able to give some visuals there just in case anybody's missing that. Um, all right. So to transition to our uh, to our next piece, I wanted to share uh, this episode's student affairs shout out. So just as a reminder, this is a process of keeping with our shared commitment to social justice and also just sharing uh, good news and praise in our work. Um, but if you'd like to do a shout out, please, you can send me a message on various uh, social media outlets or you can email me at S-U-R-R-E-T-M d at jmu.edu and we would just ask that you make a donation to an agency that's working on the multitude of ways that our society can become more just and kate and i are going to make donations as well so this week shout out comes from madeline filling who um, is a current colleague of kate's and a former colleague of mine um, and she shared uh, a major shout out to michaela morris one of my closest friends from undergrad and coincidentally a new member of the team in the Center for Student Leadership and Engagement at Clemson. Our time together at Coastal was nothing short of fabulous and the years we and the years we shared showed me that you were destined to make higher education better for all of us. I'm so glad our paths crossed again and I know that you will continue making an impact at Clemson and wherever your student affairs journey takes you. Chance up. I didn't that, know that was a thing. Did you know that was a thing? Chance up? Yeah, I've heard Madeline say it before. It didn't feel very natural coming out of my mouth, but you know, such as, such as life. So. Yeah. I I've learned a lot of those little like slogany things that people use at different campuses. I mean, I guess everyone has one, but yeah, I, I didn't realize some of those existed in the world. <laughs> so, you know, go Phoenix for my undergrad. I'll throw that one out there. That is not a good, uh, that is not a good chant. And uh, sorry, I just got a little choked up looking at uh, looking at the screenshot that I took. It's 
Listeners, you need to know that Miles, this is like his form of um, harassment of me and bullying is that he takes really incriminating photos of me in Zoom sessions and then like they just show up in places. Um, and it's really rude. <laughs> he has a lot of them, like I think a whole folder and sometimes they will show up as his Zoom background in spaces, which is, you know, clever, but also I don't like being the um, recipient of this. So there are many things that I miss about my uh, about my former work, but really at the top of the list was a real treasure trove of virtual backgrounds that I had built in Zoom that I just I don't have access to anymore. They were tied to tied to my previous account. So, you know, we start anew, Kate, we start anew. Well, I'm so glad I'm adding to that uh, file for you. I'm really, really rebuilding that stock up. So, mm-hmm. well, let's jump into some questions and some conversation about supervision. So um, today we're going to talk a little bit um, more about kind of performance improvement processes and, um, you know, moving towards maybe what looks like the end of a formal supervision relationship in terms of how do we have conversations around transitioning staff members out of their roles and onto their next and greatest thing, maybe. So want to ask you to start us off, Miles, if you'll tell us um, what is your philosophy in terms of approaching conversations with staff whose performance is not where you expect it? Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, And I think that it really starts with understanding the impact of that expectation not being met. I think sort of like you can ask the question of, why does it matter? Why does it matter that this is not happening? And I think sometimes, like I had a, a friend who once referred to punctuality as the laziest form of performance review. Um, because, you know, like if somebody is five minutes late on a, you know, on a Tuesday morning, and even if they're regularly five minutes late, the question is, how does that actually affect the job that they're doing? Um, which is thus the, the laziness reference. Um, but, you know, I think like some things to think about in terms of like why this would actually matter and we would need to, you know, be related to a formal performance improvement process, you know, and conversations prior to that is, does it affect other people? Does it diminish our support of students? Does it impact the resources that we have? Those are things that, um, those are things that are, that are necessary to address. And, um, and so, you know, when you're thinking about that, start with why that expectation, expectation is in place and then work from there. Um, and then once that happens, I then diligently prepare for those conversations and then keep space for a conversation to actually happen. I mean, we've talked about this before about not doing the like last five minutes of a one-on-one blurt, you know, where it's just like, so I've been thinking about this and I, you know, I, you know, as people who I think a lot of people in student affairs tend to be somewhat conflict averse, um, that's how we get around it. And I do think you have to prepare for it and you have to be thoughtful, but being part of that thoughtfulness is leaving that space. Um, And I do think that context matters as to why performance isn't where it needs to be. I think that everybody has their own story and their own journey about where they are and processes. But I do think that setting expectations grounded in real impacts, that impact that is like actually important, sets a standard for everybody you know everybody is on their own journey and we can all be you know we can all be thoughtful 
and empathetic and understand where folks are and where folks are and live for people for a little while in order to, you know, in order to get, get folks over the hump. And I would hope, I would personally want that as well. You know, I hope that that's a reciprocity. I've referred to this before as like, but we have to have empathy. We have to have empathy highways, not empathy rivers. And, mm -hmm. um, and it's okay to expect that because if it's affecting other people, if it's affecting our students, then those are things that are, that are worth addressing and that help other people know that performance is something that is actually evaluated and understood and appreciated. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think like the kind of latching onto the piece about like finding out why, like having, you know, that the empathy for like what's going on. I think when you said that, what came to mind for me is like um, going beyond trying to find out why by just saying like, why, right? Like what's going on, right? Like it, it makes me think of like times where um, people have asked me a question that feels like impossible to answer or a question that like, you, you know, there isn't like a correct answer for in some ways. So um, I think like working, you know, not maybe not directly asking like, why is your performance not great? Or like, what's going on here? But like, you know, um, helping to like have an actual conversation about that versus like just leaving it all to the employee to like sort of provide a justification or a reason, right? Like not just saying like, how do you feel? Or, you know, what's, what's going on here, but to, um, I guess, try to seek to have like a little bit of a deeper conversation about that. Um, I think is probably more empathetic than, sort of just placing this responsibility on someone to answer like, well, why, what's going on or, or, you know, forcing maybe someone to provide some context that they're not ready to provide yet, or something might be going on that they are not, you know, able to even like fully process or talk about at that moment. So, um, I think like leaving it as a, as an ongoing conversation too, is an important facet of that. Totally agree. I think that's a great point. Um, where's the balance between, uh, you know, between how we address performance and how we how we contextualize that, and at what point are we being invasive or perhaps harmful? I think is so mm -hmm. important. Um, okay, Kate. So, what's your philosophy? How do you how do you think through this? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with um, for me, like believing the best in people. <laughs> um, and sometimes that's hard to do, right? Like, I think sometimes we get frustrated when staff performance is not where we need it to be. Um, or we feel like we've maybe given grace before, or we've given patience before, and it's not, you know, either been reciprocated or it's like not made a difference. Um, but I, I think fundamentally I have to come into these conversations with the belief that like people are, are doing their best and trying to believe the best in people, right? Believe that like they are, um, that there isn't like intentionality or malice in any uh, poor performance or that it's not like a lack of caring with it. But to your point that there might be other stuff like going on um, or that people might just need, um, you know, help in getting there. Like there may be training that's needed or there may be skill sets that are lacking. Um, but believing that people like want to get there and believing that people will, will put the effort into, um, improving performance. So that's, I think first and foremost. And I think I do that maybe through, um, trying my best to like acknowledge where I see effort being put in and where I see good work being done. Um, so that there's like some balance to that and, possibly like a reset in my own brain about like, okay, here is where I like no effort is being put forward and, um, work is being done, uh, well, so that then I can have like a little bit more of a different conversation with folks. Um, 
I think the second thing for me uh, is like not putting this conversation off. Um, And you mentioned people being a little bit conflict averse. I would put myself a bit in that camp um, that sometimes I like just kind of hope things will get better, right? Like if I just like ignore this, maybe this will get a little bit better. Um, And I think we've talked about that previously. I think what happens is we end up bottling stuff up and building stuff up to the point that it's almost impossible to have a productive conversation. And I know as someone who is also supervised that I like would much rather my supervisor tell me like one little thing or like tell me one specific thing about like, Hey, this is an area you can grow, or this is where there's like, um, some weakness I see in your performance than to feel like I am getting like it just a, a whole list of things at a later point in time, right? Like I'd rather receive one thing once a week or like one thing every couple of weeks then to feel like, you know, it's, it's the end of the month or the, you know, there's some decided period of time where I'm going to just get this whole like litany of all these things that I need to do differently or that I've, you know, uh, struggled on. Cause I'm someone that I think can also like catastrophize a bit about myself. Like I think I can also often like sort of that can snowball. And I think that that can happen for other people too. So um, so I think not putting it off is, is an important piece of probably of kind of my like philosophy in terms of approaching this, like to, um, in some ways, I guess, to try to normalize it as much as possible, like having the conversation and, and, um, you know, it being not, you know, absent of emotion, but also not like so built up that it feels, um, like overwhelming for people, um, and then probably the other thing I would say is, is providing tangible feedback. I feel like we have said that in a number of places already in terms of when we talked about um, like performance reviews, but I think not being general, right? Not being like your performance is not good. Well, that's not helpful. Like what about my performance has not been you know, meeting expectations. I think that connects back to some of what you talked about, Miles, in terms of like acknowledging the impact of that and, and fundamentally like why does poor performance matter for this particular person and what impact is it having on other people and um what were the expectations that weren't met so just being as specific I think as as possible yeah and I think the balance with that is that sometimes that can feel like keeping score you know like I think it can sort of you know the specificity of stuff can sometimes uh can sometimes be challenging particularly if it was a long time ago which gets to your don't put it off kind of thing it's like okay yep. well how long have you been holding on to this you know like if this is something that if this was something an issue so i mean i think that those things are like really important to be uh considered in contact with one another you know it's got to be uh like we address this when it happens but then we also talk about you know we address this you know, shortly after it happens with enough time to reflect on it, but then also to provide feedback that's going to be meaningful about like why that's important and how we can, you know, how we can work forward. I think the other thing that I would say related to that, and I, you know, I know we sort of started this conversation and this process in this way, and I think that it's come up in pretty much every episode, but I think that at least from where I sit and the identities that I hold, it's really, really critical for me to think through how my identity and how the identity of other people may be living in this space, how power lives in the space, how race, gender, et cetera, lives in these conversations. And to just ask that question, I think that there are times where in my career, I have been frustrated about something that is totally a product of the, of the situ of the sort of situation, um, that I've had in society based on my identities, my whole life, and that it was really born out of that. And so I think those questions are, I think those questions are key. So. 
I think that's a good point, Miles, too. I think it's not just even the relation, like the power that might be in play in the relationship with the supervisor, but thinking about like the broader context and how some of the like environment that we may be in may be impacting me differently as a supervisor than it is my supervisees, right? So I think about like, I think a lot of, um, a lot of times employee performance is, is based in like sort of motivation and in like, um, I don't know, I'll just say motivation. I was going to say passion. I don't know. That always has to be like that. You're like hundred percent passionate about your work, but I think that like, you have to be, you have to feel motivated to want to do your job and do it well. And I think sometimes like motivation is just squashed by like larger things that are going on at the university at the, you know, in the world, right. Like that there are things that may impact someone's um, motivation or commitment to a place Um, and sometimes I think based based on my own identities, I miss those, right? Like I still feel a level of motivation or commitment because of my association with the place. Um, but recognizing that that may not be true for certain employees at a moment in time and and how do we like reconcile some of that as well? Mm. Yeah. 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 I think that, I think that that totally makes sense. Um, so Kate, what have you, what have you found to be helpful in working with folks to improve performance? Yeah. Um, I would draw attention, I think, to the way you phrased that question in terms of like working with an employee. Um, because I think that for me, that is the the core of this, right? Is working with people as much as possible. Um, certainly there are going to be things that they have to do on their own. There's gonna, you know, like I, you know, everyone is responsible for sort of their own behaviors. And, and I recognize that. And, you know, there has to be some sort of level of internal motivation to do things. Um, but I think as much as possible, helping people to not feel alone in it, right. To not just say like, this is where you're struggling now, go figure that out, go fix it. Right. But to work alongside of them, um, and to treat it as a team approach as much as, as much as possible, again, recognizing that there are personal things folks have to do. There's individual action. Um, but, uh, I think it can feel like, incredibly lonely to be told that you, um, have not met an expectation or that you are not, um, you know, performing in the way that people are expecting and to then be sort of just sitting in that by yourself or to feel like, I don't actually know how to address this maybe, or I don't know what I need to be doing differently or how to get there. Um, and to just feel like you're sort of out on this Island with not only that feeling and not only like this expectation to do more, um, but also probably feeling like people are now looking at you, right? Like now your supervisor has shared this with you and they're kind of like waiting, right? Like eyes on you to do something different. That can be incredibly isolating. Um, so I think working with people, I think checking in regularly with them. So I think that somewhat goes back to like not putting it off and, and like having these conversations regularly, but also like after you've maybe given some feedback, checking in frequently on, you know, not dwelling, but also, um, not expecting that one conversation is necessarily going to change staff behavior. Um, and I don't know, I think the other thing that's been helpful is like as much as possible, we've talked about this in every, um, episode of this season, but like this, you're in a relationship with someone when you are like this, there is a, a relationship that exists, hopefully a, a positive one between a supervisor and supervisee. So like, try as much as possible for this to be a conversation among people who care about one another in some way. Um, and like, I don't know, this is going to sound silly, but like, don't be weird, right? Like don't get all like stiff and formal if you can help it. And don't, you know, all of a sudden separate yourself from that relationship to give, um, to talk about staff performance. Cause I think that 
um, that can, you know, in some ways make the conversation a lot harder for, for both people. Yeah. I think the only things I would add to that is that I think probably the most common performance issue is that people don't actually understand what the priorities are and they don't quite know how to filter through what the priorities are. And so I would say like, I think a good place to start is to redefine expectations and then to help folks think through, okay, here's an example of where I've seen your time and energy going in a direction that isn't actually aligned with the expectations that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, again, I think a theme that's come back and I want to be clear that this is not a passive static kind of concept. This is not saying, Hey, you can't actually do anything about this, but fundamentally as a supervisor, I think you have to understand that you can't control the performance of other people. Like it's just not, it's just not out there. So like we can, we can be an active part and we can know that we have done what we can do, but ultimately folks and their performance is going to be about, you know, their capacity and their choices and their ability to operate within a context that may or may not be set up for success for them. But some of that is outside of your control. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that kind of switching gears, Miles, I think we've, you know, these, this initial conversation has been more about as someone who I think we believe is, is an employee that we want to retain, that we need to, you know, coach through help to meet expectations. Um, what happens, you know, separate from poor performance, just thinking about like sort of the relationship that you might have with the supervisee, what does it look like? Or, um, how do you have conversations with folks that maybe are ready to move on? Maybe that's based in poor performance and it's time to like help them find the next thing for them. Or sometimes it's, just that someone could be a, you know, wonderful, you know, high performing employee, but it's time for them to move on. What, what role do you th- think you play as a supervisor in that process? Well, I think the first thing is to never lose sight of the person's well-being. You know, like I think that there's a, I've seen panic take place in the past before, and it just embeds guilt in what this is going to, you know, and what this is going to look like, whether it's, you know, folks, someone needs to move on because of performance issues or whether someone is considering moving on, or you think that they should consider move, moving on because of you know growth opportunities. Um, I think that that person's well-being is sort of something that you always have to prioritize. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the most important thing. You know, your well-being is also a critical factor in that. The well-being of other people in the ecosystem is also something to consider. Um, and I hope that the relationship. I always hope that the relationship is in a place to be able to help. I want to be an active. I want to be an active participant in trying to um, in trying to make that whatever that journey is going to look like um, go in the direction that it should be going. Um, generally speaking, I think that attempts to try to keep folks, um, you know, it are um, are tend to be misguided, and that can probably be a conversation unto itself. But I just I think that um, once you know, once you're sort of on the other side of a bridge, I don't think that there's really a a process for coming back. Um, And then I think a really critical part is being honest about the kind of support that you can and cannot provide. Um, And I think that sometimes there is, you know, uh, there is a world in which you, you know, can sort of over promise. And it really just depends on the, it really just depends on the situation that you're in about what it, you know, the ways in which that you can help. Sometimes a way that you can help is to say, 
you know, I want to create this space for you to be able to go out and seek this next step. And so there are things that I can sort of help take off your plate and help with that transition. And that's the way that I can assess. Sometimes it's, you know, leveraging your own network and in, in, in somebody else's pursuit. But sometimes it's, uh, you know, there have been performance issues here and I need you to understand that. And I, you know, it's going to be a challenge for me to go out and to, you know, and to speak about that. Um, or, you know, my time is really finite and I, you know, this is your journey and this is your process. And, you know, here's the ways in which I can slot in and help with that. Yeah. Gosh, there's a lot of good stuff in there, Miles. I think I'm reflecting a lot on your comment about, um, like generally speaking, trying not to keep up, trying, try not to keep people, um, once they have made a really active decision that they are you know, job searching or that they've made the choice that they want to move on, um, is probably one of like the harder things for me as a supervisor, right? Like, especially, with folks that I, you know, really, really love working with and who are really important folks on our team. And that I, you know, I, I want to do everything possible to retain. Um, but I think some of that is like letting go of your own. Um, I don't know, like some of it's like letting go of some ego pieces, right? Like that they're going to move on and, and do other things. And that it's like, not about you as a supervisor. Um, and also like, you know, I think to your point, like wanting to be I hope that the relationship's in a point that um, we are on terms where I, you know, really care about you as an individual and I want you to be happy and successful. And um, sometimes that is going to require people leaving your institution and going somewhere else and um, being able to support as much as possible uh, that transition. And, and I think too, I think in one of the earlier, I think it was the onboarding ep uh, episode where I talked about like, you never get a second chance to make a first impression, right? I think there's also like, in some ways, like the end of a relationship, like the formal relationship, right? I hope the relationship still exists in terms of like, we are still colleagues, whether you're working directly with me or not, but um, the end of the formal supervision relationship, um, I also think you like never get a chance to, you can't like go back and fix that either, right? Like that's like someone's last, like last impression of you two in terms of how did you help them? Um, how did you take their, you know, departure? Um, as a supervisor, and I can think of, you know, friends I've had, colleagues I've had who have talked about, like, I had a great relationship with my supervisor and then like it got blown at the end, right? Like when I made the decision to leave, everything went out the window. Um, and like, that's your like last impression. And that's usually what's like, right. It's the most recent memory you have of that person in terms of working with them. And for a lot of people, like they, it's almost like it overshadows like several years of wonderful, um, work together. And that makes me really sad. Like I, I can think of examples uh, where I've, I know people that it's like they had a wonderful relationship with people. Um, and now I think like have like a really bad taste in their mouth based on the way that um, they departed a place. And so I think as much as possible, making sure that you're thinking about that and, and supporting people. And, and like you said, in the ways that you can, sometimes that's not going to look like the support that people are expecting or um, anticipating, but um, being honest about what you can provide, I think is, is really important. Yeah. I mean, it's, there is such complexity in a supervision relationship, which is a meaningful, significant, unnatural relationship. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just, I think that, um, that is a, the end of that formal process, I think is, is really complex. Um, I, I do. And I think 
um, it is it is the end of a relationship in in a way that other relationships end too. You know, you're not in a day to day um, life with somebody, and how that plays out, and how those, you know, how that that transition occurs, and and what that relationship will look like afterwards is really hard to know. You know, um, sometimes that transitions into a personal relationship. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, a, a professional relationship is so loosely maintained. It's just a, it's a fascinating, <clears throat> it's a fascinating uh, thing. And I, and I think, again, if you can, if you can operate with the other pe- person's well-being in your own capacity in mind, um, I, think, I think it's a good place. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think that keeping that in mind and keeping that transparency piece in mind is, is really crucial to getting it right. So thank you for bringing both those things up. Um, so we want to wrap up with, as we always do a resource to share with you, um, in sort of an offline conversation, not recorded miles. And I had some, some conversation about, um, that maybe an underlying complex piece of this is, um, or a contributing factor sometimes is employee mental health. And how does that play into this? And how do we, um, acknowledge, recognize, uh, that as a factor and also like, what role do we play as a supervisor, um, in that? So the resource I'd like to share with you, and also, I guess, maybe with that in mind and also in mind, uh, with the idea that we are very much still emerging from, uh, a global pandemic. And I think that that has had a significant impact on folks' mental health, um, across the board. Um, but we would be naive to think that that wasn't playing out, um, in the supervision relationship as well. And so, um, the resource I want to share with you is a little different today, not higher ed focused so much. Um, but comes from the CDC and we will put a link to it, um, in the notes, but, um, the CDC has a, a great section of their website. That's all focused on workplace health promotion. Um, but within that, they have a whole article on mental health in the workplace and sort of how do we, um, sort of acknowledge, recognize, um, consider mental health and how that affects our work culture, how that might affect those that we're supervising, um, and provide some pretty actionable, I think, um, sort of steps to take and things that we can do tips and tricks, um, to, to help folks, um, that we might be connected with, um, in a supervisory relationship. So that would be my resource. Miles, what you got? Um, so the first 90 days by Michael B. Watkins is like a classic sort of management book. And it's about the transition into an organization, but there is great information in there about how to engage in conversation with folks and why, um, and I would really, uh, I would really recommend that, uh, would really recommend that for folks. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's what I would, that's what I would recommend. Um, thanks to everyone for joining us for To Practice, which is presented by SACSA. You can get more information about SACSA, the Southern Association for College Student Affairs on our various social media outlets, uh, which is uh, at facebook.com backslash Saxa fan page on Twitter at Saxa tweets on Instagram, Saxa grams. And don't forget to sign up for the Saxa alert, which is great information every month. Kate, anything to add? I don't think so. Thank you. All righty. Well, thanks everybody for listening.